What were you worried about exactly one year ago today? That would be April 26th, 2018. What was it? It was a Thursday that week. Can you remember? Some of you had major life struggles. You might remember something. But I wonder if most of us have forgotten. What kept you up in bed that night a year ago? Can you recall? How about a month ago? What were you anxious about last week? Well, if you're like me, you may lay in bed worrying about something when deep down you know that when you wake up in the morning, it really won't even matter. But in the moment, you can't stop the anxiety. But then you do get up that next day, and it's almost never as bad as you think it will be. Things change just by waking up and getting out of bed. And then by the next week, you can't even remember what you were worried about the previous week. Well, many of us struggle with anxiety. We can't imagine not being anxious. So if you're here this morning and you're the one in a million who has never, ever, ever struggled with anxiety, well, bless you. <laughs> bless you, my friend. You have a superhero gift if you don't know what anxiety is and have never felt it. You could be in the next Avengers movie. You know, Avengers, end of anxiety. You're a superhero. It's a gift. Iron Man, Ant-Man, anti-anxiety man. That could be you. You're the most powerful superhero for sure. But for the rest of us, we need help. Well, you could define anxiety as a concern about the future. It's an uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. Other words for anxiety are angst, apprehension, concern, doubt, dread, the jitters, nervousness, panic, restlessness, unease. Friend, how are you doing with anxiety these days? Is there anything you're anxious about? Perhaps not having a job. Maybe having a difficult one. Maybe it's rising debt. Maybe you're actually doing work and you're just not getting paid for it. Maybe not having enough money for retirement. Maybe you're anxious about your hopes and dreams for getting married one day, or maybe you're in a difficult marriage, and that just brings you worry and anxiety. Maybe you're worried about getting diagnosed with cancer. Others are nervous about a child perhaps going wayward. Maybe you're anxious about whether you'll ever even have a child. And teens, you could be anxious about not fitting in with friends, not getting the entrance into the university you'd like. What is it for you? Well, some of us are anxiety experts. If the love of money is that sin that 
many of us struggle with, but we just don't want to talk about it because it's just so personal to us. Well, anxiety might be one of those acceptable sins, those sins that we talk about openly, maybe even talk about a lot, but just can't stop. We don't like it. We loathe it, but we just can't stop being anxious. No one wakes up in the morning and says, ah, today, yes, another day to be anxious. I really want something to worry about today. Maybe today I can be more anxious than I was yesterday. Now, that would be a good goal. No one thinks that way. No one gets out their day plan or their diary and writes out, here's my plan for today. Number one, wake up. Number two, eat breakfast. Number three, be ridiculously anxious about something today. None of us make plans like that. None of us want to be anxious, do we? There are no self-help books entitled The Wonder of Worry, Secrets to Being More and More Anxious and Why It's So Much Fun. There's no book entitled Anxiety and How I Achieved It and How You Can Too with Five Easy Steps. No one's written that book. None of us wants to be more anxious. Well, Jesus is commanding us today to stop being anxious about certain things. Well, it's important for me to say right up front here in the beginning of the sermon that there are different kinds of anxiety. And here's a question that's often asked. Is all anxiety bad? Is all anxiety sin? Well, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that being anxious about the spiritual well-being of others is a good thing. He agrees with the Apostle Paul. In first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, I face the daily pressure, the daily concern or anxiety. It's the same word there. Paul says, I'm concerned daily I'm anxious daily for the other churches. Or how about Jesus? Luke chapter 12, Jesus said he was distressed with the cross ahead. And how about the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus, there in the garden, approaching the cross, starts sweating drops of blood. Now how else do we explain that except for distress and anxiety? Well, as parents, we should be concerned about our children knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's no greater anxiety and bigger prayer for a parent than that. If you're anxious, or I should say, if your child is in the hospital with an undiagnosed illness and you're not anxious, not anxious in some way, then maybe there's a problem with your heart. And we might be anxious before a big event. Maybe you have your annual review at work. You have a big presentation to the board. There's no Olympic athlete before a big race who gets down there ready to run or ready to swim who doesn't feel some anxiety or some adrenaline for the big obstacle ahead. A preacher, a preacher might honestly be anxious about his sermon, anxious that it'll be truthful to the text, that the point of the sermon will actually be the point of Scripture. Preacher could be anxious that people will hear and that the sermon will be communicated clearly and truthfully and in love. Or 
He could be worried about his reputation or how he looks and sounds. That first concern is godly. The second one is not. There's good anxiety and there's bad anxiety. A good anxiety cares for God and others, and it moves us to trust him. Bad anxiety is self-centered and has at its root a lack of trusting God. And Jesus is talking about the latter. Unfortunately, this is where most of us struggle. Jesus started this discussion last week. We see the connecting word in verse 25. So when you see the word therefore, the rule is you have to see what it's there for. You have to look back. You want to see what the word is connecting to. In this case, it simply connects the two passages. The two passages are really a kind of an introduction and a conclusion on the same main point. Anxiety comes when we choose money to be our master instead of God. One of the ways you know if you're building treasure on earth is if you're anxious about it. Jesus is talking here about our self-centered anxieties. Your anxiety for treasures on earth is sin. This kind of anxiety doesn't trust God to provide. It's to this anxiety Jesus tells us three times in our passage, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Anxiety doesn't feel like a real voluntary thing. It's not something we really choose to do. How then can we be commanded not to be anxious? Is Jesus being cold here? Is Jesus being inconsiderate to us? There's an old television show back from the 1970s called the Bob Newhart Show. In this show, Newhart is a psychologist. He's a counselor. And all kinds of patients, they come to him. He'd start out listening. They would share their fears and their struggles, and he would listen. But then all of a sudden, he would say, okay, 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 that's enough. I have two words for you. And at that point, they think, okay, okay, they get out their notes. They're ready to write these magical two words that Newhart has for them. And he says, stop it. People are stunned and, and at his counsel. And then he just starts yelling, stop it, stop it, just stop it. Now, by the way, that's terrible counseling if you're taking notes. If Josh Smith, who heads up our counseling ministry, hung up, hung up a sign outside of his office that said, just stop it in 10 languages, we would find ourselves a new counselor. It's terrible counseling. Maybe you've been counseled that way before. It's not the biblical way. And it's certainly not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not being harsh with us. Jesus is not being cold to us. Jesus is not telling us just to snap out of it, just to stop your anxiety. It's not what he's doing. It's not a mean God. He's not being cold. Jesus is telling us to stop being anxious out of love. He's going to do it today in a loving way, in a real careful, considerate, patient way. The world is desperate for solutions to anxiety. 
It's where there are shelves and shelves of books in the bookstore trying to help you have an inner peace. They're 100% guaranteed to help you feel less anxious. They sell well. They promise you peace. And we buy them. People buy them because we want out of our suffocating worry. But the reason more and more and more books are written on that subject is because none of them work. And Jesus has a better way. And Jesus is going to give us this morning four remedies for the anxious heart. So if you're taking notes this morning, this is our outline today. Four remedies, four cures for the anxious heart. Let me, let me give you those four here in the beginning so you have them. Number one, we're to remember God's provision. Remember God's provision. Number two, to remember anxiety's disappointment. We're going to see that anxiety always disappoints. Number three, remember your priority. Number four, remember today. God's provision, anxiety's disappointment, your priority in today. Four things to remember. Number one, remember God's provision. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. He gives two examples, what you eat and drink and what you wear. Now, these are basic necessities of life. This is how anxiety often comes. We worry about God's provision for us. And Jesus knows this will be a temptation. I mean, why else would he command us not to be anxious? But he says, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not of more value than they? And there's something we can learn from the birds. They don't seem to have a care in the world. Birds don't store stuff up. They don't sow. They don't reap. They have to get up each day and find their food. But do you ever see a bird worry or anxious, just buzzing around, circle after circle, just distress? No, we see beautiful birds in our city. Have you seen the, the hoopoe? It's the multicolored bird with the big pointy beak. These birds look incredibly peaceful. They're just sitting there on the grass or on a branch, just relaxing, just enjoying the day, just taking in the sun or the shade. They look so peaceful. Next time you see a bird, just take a look. The bird is our teacher. Now, of course, they're not idle. They search for food. Jesus is not telling us to be lazy. That's not what this verse means. We work like a bird. But it's been said in a poem before. As far as it's known, no bird ever tried to build more nests than their neighbor. No fox ever fretted because he had only one hole in which to hide in. No squirrel ever died of anxiety lest he should lay aside enough for two winters instead of one no dog ever lost sleep because he hadn't saved enough bones to chew on for his retirement years. 
No, we work like a bird, but we trust God's daily provision. It's true that we can think of the future in ways that perhaps animals can't. In some ways, we're too smart for our own good. We have the capacity to set ourselves up for the slavery of worry. It's been said that anxiety is the number one ailment of the affluent. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that you don't get peace from earthly treasure? We talked about this last week. When we are not fulfilled by our earthly treasure, what we do is we just try to find more earthly treasure. That's our instinct. Do you, do you see that? It's backwards. The more satisfaction and security and joy you try to find in earthly treasure, the more anxious you feel. You're just feeding your anxiety, and it's never enough. So Jesus said, look at the bird. Your heavenly Father feeds them. If you want to deal with your anxiety, the first step is to remember God's loving provision. To remember that he is your heavenly father. Now, kids, don't go to bed at night worried about whether they're going to eat the next morning. They're not worried about having clothes to wear. Why? Well, because their parents provide those things for them. Jesus is saying, your heavenly father feeds the birds. Are you not of more value than they? That you there is emphatic. If he feeds the birds, he'll take care of you. You're made in God's image. You are made by God in his image. You're worth infinitely more than the birds. You're his child. So look to the bird. Takes care of the birds, but not just the birds. Jesus tells us to look at the flowers, verses 28 and 29. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Toiling there refers to men laboring in the field. Spinning points to women spinning cloth at home. Well, the birds might work here. The flowers, they don't do anything. And God still provides for them. Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world, the one who had such majestic and such glorious and such radiant dress. Even Solomon doesn't compare to the glory and splendor of one spring flower, much less a whole field of them. Well, God always provides for our needs. Now, it might not be in the exact way that we think he will, I mean, think about your life 10 years ago. God's provided for you. But there were some twists, there were some turns, there were some ups, and there were some downs. But he's taking care of you. He's always provided. When you're anxious, you're not remembering this truth. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, when you're anxious... What you're doing is you're listening to yourself. You're listening to the lies in your head about life. Instead of listening to those lies, Lloyd-Jones says you need to start talking to yourself. You need to start reminding yourself. You need to start telling yourself of God's truth. You need to be proactive to inject God's truth into your heart. Oh, fellow Christian, remember. Remember that you've been adopted into God's family, that you are his child. 
Remember that, that that same heavenly father who loves you with a fatherly care is the same God who is sovereign over the whole world and he holds the whole world in his hands and he holds your very life in his hands. Remember, you're a partaker of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit actually resides in you. Remember that God rules the heavens and the earth, but he's holding your life and every breath together by the word of his power. Remember that when you're weak, those moments that you feel the most frail and you're worried about God's provision, you're awaiting it. 2 Corinthians 12 says, God's grace is sufficient for you for his power is perfected in weakness. And remember that God never lies. You don't have to worry about whether God will do what he says. You can remember Hebrews chapter 6. It's impossible for God to lie. The promises made by God are always promises kept by God. When you're struggling with a financial problem and you're awaiting provision, remember God's faithfulness in the past is a model and a promise of God's faithfulness in the future. He's been with us in the past. He's proven his faithfulness in the past. He will be with you in the future. You fight your anxiety of life with thoughts about God. You fight with an avalanche of truth. You fight it with thoughts of God's greatest act of love for you. Oh, Christian, you were an enemy of God. But God sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. Why would your heavenly father hold back from you now when he sent you his one and only son? And he didn't do this after you cleaned yourself up. He didn't do this after you started acting better. He didn't do this after you did a list of good works to prove yourself to him. He did this when you were his enemy. He did this while you were still a sinner. It was in that state that Christ died for you. No, we loved the world. We searched for earthly riches. We wanted those earthly riches more than we wanted God. We had betrayed him. We had sought for love elsewhere, but God has provided for us abundantly through Christ's death on the cross. Oh, God feeds the birds. God cares for the flowers. Are you not of more value than they? Well, the answer Jesus is implying in that question is a resounding, of course you are. Of course you're more valuable. I'll take care of you, he says. Well, food and clothing here represent necessities to life. Those are things that we need to live. There could be other needs you're lacking, other things you're anxious about, other necessities you're trusting God for. Years ago, for Gloria and, and I, it was a mattress. Early in our marriage, when we were finishing up our seminary studies, we didn't have a mattress. The two of us were working four part-time jobs combined, and we found ourselves in a place where all we owned was a few books, a small couch, and an air mattress. That was it. Uh, and the air mattress was pretty tall. It was, it was a big one. It was about the height of 
most of our beds. If we have, have, have a bed, it was pretty tall, but pretty soon after we got the air mattress, there was a, a small hole on my side of the air mattress. Just a small one. So throughout the night, over the hours, it would slowly deflate on my side. So I'd kind of be sleeping on an incline more and more so as the night went on, so that when the morning came, I was kind of hanging off the edge onto the floor. It's quite awkward and uncomfortable. But it wasn't as bad as it was for Gloria, because at this point, Gloria was several months pregnant with our first child. And air mattresses aren't so good when you're pregnant. They aren't so comfortable. We didn't know what to do. We had no money for a mattress. Well, one day in theology class, our dear professor used to take prayer requests from the students in class. And so he opened it up for prayer requests. And the, the first person raises their hand and asks for prayer for their father who has cancer. And someone else raised their hand and asked for prayer for their family because they had just lost a loved one. And there's Gloria in the back kind of raising her hands and asked, um, well, can, can you pray for us? We don't have a mattress. Now, the request sounded a bit silly next to cancer and death, but it was, it was a need. It was a necessity. And God answered her prayer right there in the class. There was another student who realized as they were praying, wait a minute. I have an extra mattress I can give. And by the end of the weekend, my pregnant, lovely wife had her very own mattress. God provided just what we needed when we needed it. He's always done that. And you can think back to examples like that, where you didn't know how God was going to provide, and he did. Maybe it was literally a meal to eat. Maybe it was antibiotics or medicine that you needed to help treat a condition you had. Maybe it was a place to live, even a place to sleep for the night, a way to pay off for a visa or for a debt. And you've seen God be faithful in providing for your life. Don't forget it. When we remember the provision of God and look at the word of God, it shows us that anxiety is unnecessary. Remember God's provision. That's the first point. Number two, a second remedy for anxiety. Number two, remember anxiety's disappointment. Remember anxiety's disappointment. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, bad anxiety can't achieve anything for you. All the anxiety in the world, all put together, all bottled up in one place, can't even buy you, one person, one extra hour in this life. The mythical fountain of youth just doesn't exist. We're getting older and older, whether we worry or not. In fact, it probably does the opposite. The more you worry, the more you hurt your body. You can actually shorten your life by worrying. You can't accomplish anything good with this type of anxiety. There's an old English proverb that says, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Isn't that the truth? You just rock back and forth, back and forth. You're doing something all right, but you're not moving anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Now, I've yet to hear a counselor advocate for anxiety taking you somewhere. 
Never heard a counselor prescribe what you need every day is to wake up in the morning and stress yourself out. It will really help you get through your day and add years to your life. No doctor prescribes this for you and says, well, sir, I've reviewed your case. I'd say you need to add some stress to your life. No, anxiety always disappoints. It overpromises and underdelivers. Jesus says, "Don't be anxious about my, about my provision. God will take care of you. Trust me." Look down at verse thirty. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Well, the green grass of spring was fuel for ovens. It's also a biblical metaphor for human frailty. Our unbelief in God's provision always disappoints. Jesus says, I take care of the grass. I feed the grass. I shine the sun on the grass. I bring rain to water the grass. And it's nothing really. Oh, you of little faith? I take care of the grass. If I provide for the grass, won't I provide for my children who are destined for heaven? Therefore, verses 31 and 32, God will provide for us. So Jesus says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Your Father knows what you need. This is such a comforting word. It's futile to worry about something that God knows about. Well, the word Gentiles there refers to unbelievers. The unbelievers seek after these things. They're normal things we need to live. And Jesus says, don't worry about them like unbelievers. Don't make it your first priority. Don't be overly anxious about it. Don't be anxious at all. Because when you do, you're presuming that God forgets about you, that he doesn't know. But God's never surprised. God's never up there in heaven saying, oh, wait, Dave and, Dave and Gloria? Come here, Michael. Come here, uh, Gabriel. Come here, angels. you got to look at this. Are you, really? Dave and Gloria need a mattress? I had no idea. No, that never happens. God is never surprised. There's nothing that God doesn't know about. God knows every hair on your head. That means God knows every aspect of your life. He knows all that you're doing. He knows your f feelings of pain. He knows your anxiety. He knows your hopes and dreams. He knows your heart. We don't worry because God holds the future in his hands. So Redeemer Church, are there things that cause you unnecessary anxiety? It will always disappoint you. Remember that and stay away from it. If there's certain people you spend time with that bring anxiety to your heart, stay away from them. If there's certain movies you watch that bring you anxiety, don't watch them. If social media causes you anxiety, if scrolling through thousands of curated and edited highlights of other people's lives brings you great envy and worry and anxiety, then stop scrolling. Remember anxiety's disappointment and get yourself out of situations that bring unnecessary anxiety. Well, here's a third remedy for anxiety. Number three, remember your priority. 
Remember your priority. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Every morning you get up, here's what you do. You seek first God and his kingdom. This is a command. I think it's a command because this doesn't come naturally to us. There's a whole bunch of other things we want to seek. Jesus says, look to God as your priority and everything else will fall into place. There's a famous story of Queen Elizabeth I. She once told a man that she wanted him to go on a voyage to the new world because they needed his skills on the voyage. And the man looked at her and said, I'm but a small businessman and my business is floundering. If I go, it'll surely die. And the queen looked at him and said, my dear friend, you mind my business and I'll mind your business. Well, immediately at that, all fear left him because this is the queen. This is Queen Elizabeth, the one with power and wealth who could easily take care of his business. Now, we mind God's business. He'll take care of us far more than any earthly queen can. Well, this is good news for those of us who are anxious. While pursuing earthly treasures and needs on our own fuels anxiety, Jesus is saying right here, oh, anxious friend, if you seek first God and his kingdom, then as a result, you get all your needs met without anxiety. I mean, do you see how this is good news? Jesus says, seek God and his kingdom. I'm going to give you what you need. And you'll get it without anxiety and with peace in your heart. Oh, friend, this is good news. This is what we want. This is what we all want is peace like a river flowing in and through us. Verse 33 here is the centerpiece of the answer. We redirect our energy from worrying about life to working for God's kingdom. Our first and best effort is directed towards God's kingdom, not our personal needs. That's what it means to seek first. Make it most important. Well, how do we do this? How do we seek God's kingdom first? How do we look to heavenly riches? When we read God's word and we pray, we build a relationship with our God. To seek first his kingdom means we share the gospel with people who've never heard the good news. It means we take time away from our lunch breaks to do discipleship, to sit across the table from someone and read God's word together. You organize your whole life with a ministry mindset. It means you're excited about Ramadan coming, not because of possible short work hours for our own benefit, but because there's more time and a natural inroad to talk to your fasting friends and neighbors about the good news of Jesus. Seeking first his kingdom means you obey God and you live a holy life. You live a life that's distinct from the world around you. That's a light and a salt. You do your work with integrity, even in difficult work situations. You help the poor. You give generously. You're kind to people. It means you say nice things. You look to build people up. You don't gossip. You don't tear people down but you seek wherever you go to have a, a ministry of encouragement. You give up hobbies to serve people in their time of need. If you're a parent, you shepherd your children in an understanding and gentle way. 
There's never been a child who's ever been thankful for a home filled with worry. No, instead, you bring peace into the home. Now, we all want peace. We all want these things. We just go about finding them in different ways. Jesus says the only way to free yourself of anxiety is not to try and free yourself of anxiety. It's instead to pursue Christ and his kingdom. Then the peace will come. You have to change your priority. But you also have to change your focus. Those things go hand in hand, and that's the fourth remedy for our anxiety. It's to remember today. It's to remember today. It's to focus on this day, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. No, Jesus is not saying here, this doesn't mean don't worry about tomorrow, but really, you've really got to worry a lot about today. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is you've got to focus on today. Remember today. Each day has its own trouble. Don't forget to live in the present. I mean, do you ever notice that you're trying to live in some reality of the future? And Jesus is saying we need to take seriously our daily assignment from God that each day is a gift to be lived out for him. Live for the now. Live for the present. Don't fall for the lie of Dubai that you're here for earthly treasure. If this is your home and this is your home church, live today for God. Serve in this place. Don't live for some future reality. Be faithful to God in this season. Don't miss the value of now. Jesus is saying we all need help to live in the present. We need to remember today. If we remember today, then our minds wouldn't drift off to our to-do list when someone else is praying. Our days wouldn't be an assembly line as we merely dream of the future. Parents wouldn't be paralyzed by anxiety over their children's future, but would love and serve and shepherd their child today. And if you're in a career where you don't love it and you're not making as much as you'd like, rather than lamenting the job or doing whatever you can to get another job, serve your coworkers and your supervisors and those who work for you today in a way that points them to Christ. Oh, when we worry about tomorrow, we're not fully here today. Oh, Redeemer Church, cast your anxieties on him. Jesus assumes you'll be anxious. So whatever those anxieties are, pass them off to him. Let him bear the burden. Let anxiety drive you to trust God. Free yourself of trying to play God in your life and let God be God. Well, friends, in just a moment, we have the privilege of taking part in communion together. I want us to live in the present. I want us to live in this sacred moment. If you're here and you're not yet a believer, we're glad that you're here. We hope you keep coming, but we urge you to let the bread and let the cup pass you by as it comes around. For 1 Corinthians 11 says that whoever takes communion as a non-believer, or if you're a believer entangled in sin, then you'd be taking communion in an unworthy manner. And that person would be in sin against God. And this is a meal for those who are following Christ. But if that's you during this time, I want you to consider that the only way to truly be free of your anxiety is to trust in Jesus who died for the sins of his people. Now, if you're not yet a believer, there's a lot to be anxious about. If you don't know Jesus, that means that you sit under judgment. But, oh, friend, the good news is once you turn to Jesus in faith, 
The judgment is removed and you're reconciled to God. And he gives you a peace beyond understanding in your heart. Well, to my fellow believers, fellow Christians, remember God's provision for your sin. Remember the death of Christ for you. And here's what I want you to do during our moment of silent reflection. You're about to hold on to the bread and the cup. These are pictures, symbols of God's provision for you. That bread symbolizing Christ's perfect life lived out on your behalf. And the cup, a symbol of Christ's blood shed for your sin. These are symbols of love, forgiveness, compassion, redemption. And I want us to take a minute. Maybe you've had a divided mind and heart these days. Maybe you've been preoccupied with too many things. Maybe your, your worry list is too full. I want you to let it go. I want you to let it go. I want you to release it. I want you to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. I want you to lay the burden on him. Let's do that now in silent reflection. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you in need of grace. Forgive us for worrying and wasting our time. We've been tempted to take your role of king and live it out in our lives. We just can't do it. We can't bear that burden. We pray today that as we take communion, as we take the bread and the cup, that we would have peace in our hearts. Free us from this burden. Let us live for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.